Good morning. I don't know what time is it in Zambia, but uh, I'll say good morning also to our missionaries there, and good morning to those missionaries that are traveling, are on their way right now. Thank God. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. So today, today we continue our sermon series, Cross Church Goes to Greece. As we follow the footsteps of Apostle Paul's second missionary journey in Greece, after leaving Philippi, he passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and from Apollonia he continued on with his mission from God, walking westward to Thessalonia, Thessalonica, when he, where he established and founded the Thessalonian church, to whom the first and the second Thessalonians were named after. And let me read Acts 17, verse 1 to 10, so just to give you a background on what happened here. This is not our text, but just only a background. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, that means three weeks or three Saturdays, three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking with them wicked men of the rabble, then formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, This man who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all against, acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed, when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Thessalonica is a major city. In fact, it is the capital city, the largest and the most important city of the Roman province of Macedonia, which is the northern part of Greece. Thessalonica was a thriving seaport with a population of about 200,000 during Paul's time. It's a quite large city. Perhaps Thessalonica's greatest asset was its location. Ignatian Way, the major east and west highway of the Roman Empire, which ran from what is now Albania to Istanbul, Turkey, is Thessalonica's main street that links Rome 
with the eastern regions of the empire. Think of Ignatian Way as like Highway 1 that cuts through Winnipeg. Except Ignatian Way is their main street. It is where all the activities that are happening. Christian author and theologian William Barclay noted the importance of Thessalonica's strategic location on the Ignatian Way to the spread of the gospel, and he wrote, he said, It is impossible to overstress the importance of the arrival of Christianity in Thessalonica. If Christianity were settled there, it was bound to spread east along the Ignatian Road until all Asia was conquered and west until it stormed even the city of Rome. The coming of Christianity to Thessalonica was crucial in the making of it into a world religion. The point is, if there is a place where the gospel of Jesus Christ can spread faster into the Roman Empire, it is Thessalonica. It is also the... Note, uh, it is also important to note that there was also a significant number of strong, influential Jewish community there, which happens to have a synagogue which Apostle Paul used as his stage to bring the gospel to the Thessalonians. After arriving in Thessalonica, kind of boring at this point, this is kind of historical background, after arriving in Thessalonica with Silas, Paul went straight to the Jewish synagogue to begin his mission work. The Bible says that he stayed in Thessalonica for about three Sabbaths, which is about three Sundays or three weeks at least, preaching, reasoning with them, and organizing the church. As a result of Paul's powerful preaching, proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Messiah, some Jews and a large number of Gentiles and even some of the upper class Greek women believed the gospel and came to know Jesus Christ. His missionary trip to Thessalonica was a huge success. Author Henrietta Mears noted about Paul's success and she wrote, Paul's success in Thessalonica has not been the usual experience of missionaries among the heathen. Carey in India, Judson in Burma, Morrison in China, and Moffat in Africa waited each seven years for his first convert. But here, Paul, the Holy Spirit allowed Paul to reap sudden harvest. Paul's success made many Jews jealous that they formed and led a mob and put the city in an uproar. And because of this, Paul was forced to leave and cut short his stay and left Thessalonica immediately that night going to Berea, leaving behind many young converts to Christianity with little or no spiritual support or instructions about the Christian life during a time of fierce opposition and persecution. Sometime later, while in Corinth, Paul was overjoyed 
by the news brought by Timothy about the Thessalonian Christians that they were growing spiritually in spite of all the persecutions they received. Even though Paul ministered for only a brief time, Thessalonian Christians continued in their newfound faith in Christ. They remained strong. They remained steadfast and even proved themselves to be an example to others. In view of this persecution, Paul reminded the Thessalonian Christians in 1 Thessalonians 5:16 to 18, and let's read. And this is our text. Paul said, "Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you." Let's bow our heads and let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you, Lord God. Father, we ask for your presence in this service this morning, Lord God. We ask for your preeminence. We ask for your leading. We ask for your anointing, Lord God. We thank you for the freedom that we can gather together this morning, Lord God. And Lord, we will be very careful to give all the praises, all the glory, all the honor to you only, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Now, these instructions are so important, not only for the first century Thessalonian Christians, but for all of us Christians who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you and for me. Now, why rejoice always? Or why be joyful always? Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, to fully understand the Christian joy that Paul is talking about here is to look at the difference between joy and happiness because joy and happiness are not the same how many of you have heard people say I just want to be happy how many of you said that yourself I just want to be happy let me tell you this you don't really want happiness because happiness is something that affects your feelings based on consequences or circumstances that happens around your life. What you're really looking for is joy. Why? Because happiness depends on what happens. Joy is there no matter what happens. Ooh, that is so good. That is so good. You better write that down. Happiness depends on what happens. Joy is there no matter what happens. And that's the difference. Remember this. Feelings drive happiness. Faith drives joy. Ooh, that's good. You better write that down too. 
Feelings drive happiness. Faith drives joy. One is sleeping and the other is as solid as a rock. Most people pursue happiness with things like drugs or alcohol or sexual fantasies or winning the lottery. How many of you know that that a high percentage of lottery winners ended up with miserable lives after just a few years or months after winning the jackpot? The thing that they think would bring happiness instead brought misery. Some would pursue happiness by taking exotic trips, like going to Hawaii or or Caribbean. And once they get there and unpack their luggage and they look into the mirror, they're not happy anymore. Or some would pursue material things, and when they get hold of those things, they're not happy anymore. Or some would say, if I drive this kind of car, I'll be happy. Or if I live in this kind of house, I'll be happy. Or if I have this kind of job, I'll be happy for the rest of my life. Or some would say, if I'll marry him, I'll be happy for the rest of my life. Oh, yuppie. Or some would say, if I'll marry her, I'll be happy for the rest of my life. Oh, yuppie. What an illusion. (laughs) A man was scanning the classified ads looking for a job, and he lifted up his head towards heaven and said, God... If you give me a good job, I'll be happy for the rest of my life. Two weeks later, he started on his new job and he was making great money. And then he prayed again and he said, God, if you give me a wife, I'll be happy for the rest of my life. Six months later, God answered his prayer. He got married and soon he was out shopping in the mall with his new wife. And he prayed again, God, if you will give me a second job, I'll be happy for the rest of my life. (laughs) Some of you will get that later. (laughs) Get the CD, it will help. A young man said to his father, I want to marry a beautiful woman. I want to marry a smart woman. I want to marry a woman that will make that will bring me happiness. And his dad looked at him and said, Son, make up your mind. Make up your mind. (laughs) Joy and happiness are two different things. Happiness is the experience of feeling good. Happiness is triggered by some external situation. 
Happiness is superficial when your favorite hockey team wins or your football team wins. And you'll be happy for a couple of days. Happiness is a momentary good feeling. Happiness is based on what happens. There are many things in life that brings unhappiness. Circumstances like death or loved one of a loved one brings sadness and grief. Loss of job. News like a tragic news like 9-11 or the tsunami or the shooting in Norway. Concerns about retirement fund being not there when we retire. Long lineup at superstore is enough to make many unhappy. The conditions of our health care with the long wait times at the clinic is enough to make you sick and unhappy. Somebody says that North American people represent only 6% of the world's population, but we consume 90% of the tranquilizers. The message is we are an uptight group of people. According to one psychiatrist, that one in four North Americans has a serious emotional problem. So if you are in a group of four and the other three looks okay, it's you. One old woman said that the only thing that is holding me is my hairspray. Some are unhappy because they don't have a job. Some are unhappy because they have a job. I don't understand that. Some are unhappy because they are single. Some are unhappy because they are married. I know marriages are made in heaven, but so is thunder and lightning. <laughs> One husband says, we live in a two-story house. I have my own story, and she has her own story. <laughs> One man asks, what's the secret of your marriage? Well, he said, we go out two times a week to a nice restaurant, for good food and good companionship. She goes on Tuesdays, I go on Thursdays. <laughs> One man asked his wife where she wanted to go for her anniversary. She said, someplace different. So I took her to the kitchen. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. The Word of God says, Rejoice always. The Bible does not instruct us or tell us to be happy. But rather, the Bible commands us to rejoice always. It didn't say sometimes. It didn't say whenever you feel like it. It didn't say when situation calls for it, but rather it says rejoice always. The critical word in that verse is the word always. In the good times, 
and in the bad times. When you're on the mountaintop and when you're on the valley of the shadow of death, when all the bills are paid, when all the bills are not paid, when your health is failing you, and when your health is good, when you get a photo radar ticket, rejoice in the Lord always. And for those who are missionaries in Zambia, whether there be a container or not, rejoice in the Lord always. Joy is deeper than happiness. Joy is the deep-seated realization that everything is going to be okay. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Happiness is not. Joy lasts even in the midst of the trials of life. Joy is not dependent on circumstances. Joy is internal. Joy is eternal. And the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Because our joy is anchored on God's faithfulness. Our joy is anchored on God's love. For he said in the book of Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Our joy is anchored in God's peace that he gave to us. And it is the kind of peace that passes all understanding. Our joy is anchored in knowing that he will provide for us. For he is our Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides the king, king David said, I was young and now I am old, but I have never seen a righteous man forsaken or his seed begging bread. Our joy is anchored in knowing that he will never abandon us, for he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Our joy is anchored in knowing that he is our firm foundation and solid foundation, unmovable and unshakable. Our joy is anchored on God's power over situation and circumstances of life. Our joy is anchored in knowing that He is our healer. For the Bible says that He is our great physician. Our joy is anchored in knowing that He will make a way when there seems to be no way. Our joy is anchored in knowing that He gives us direction. For the Bible says, that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Our joy is anchored in knowing that He listens to our prayers. For the Bible says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. Our joy is anchored in knowing that He is our guide and provider. For the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. 
Surely, 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 goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now what's your problem? And that is why King David wrote in Psalm 16:11, In thy presence there is fullness of joy. In his presence there is fullness of joy. Now, let's go to the second point. Why pray? Why pray without ceasing? Many Christians uh, get confused with this passage into believing that we are supposed to go around like monks jabbering prayer under our bed at all times. But it has nothing to do with that kind of monastic lifestyle. The first time someone hears about the concept of praying without ceasing is it may paint an image of Christians walking around with their hands folded, heads bowed, and their eyes closed, bumping into things. Many people, even Christians, dismiss this command, pray without ceasing, as quickly as ridiculous and exaggeration. Praying without ceasing is not a non-stop talking. It's not praying in a formal way. It's not praying in a noticeable way. It's not reciting ritualistic patterns and forms of prayer. It is not a repetitious kind of prayer where we say our Father ten times and you're forgiven. What the Bible means when it says pray without ceasing is that we are to be in a constant, continuous, steady, moment by moment, in a heart attitude of prayer. Trusting God in every situation and in every circumstances. Unceasing prayer refers more to a prayer as a heart attitude and not just a prayer as an activity or action. It is the heart attitude that places Jesus Christ above everything else in our life. Prayer without ceasing is an attitude. As an attitude means that posture is not important. You can be standing, sitting down in your couch, laying down in your bed. Praying without ceasing is an, as an attitude means you can pray no matter what you're doing. You can be jogging. You can be walking, driving, doing laundry, running a lawnmower, or changing baby diaper. Prayer without ceasing is, as an attitude means voice does not matter, audible or not. Remember Hannah? Hannah prayed and was thought to be drunk by priest Eli. Because her lips were moving and there was no sound at all. And God honored her prayers by giving her a son who became one of the greatest prophets of Israel. Spurgeon said, we may speak 
a thousand words which seem to be a prayer and yet never pray. On the other hand, we may cry into God's ear most effectually and yet never say a word. Prayer without ceasing as an attitude means location is not important. Wherever you are, you can pray. You can be in a grocery store. You can be in a bus, in a gym, in a school, or at work. Prayer without ceasing as an attitude means time is not important. The Bible says in Psalms 55, 17, says, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. So in praying without ceasing, posture does not matter. Your voice does not matter if it is audible or not. Location does not matter wherever you are. And time does not matter. You can pray anytime. Praying without ceasing is an attitude that is fully dependent on Him and totally convinced that without Him, you're not going to make it. There will be times when you need to confess your sins. There will be times when you need to express appreciation for God's creative wonders. There will be times when we should express our love to, to Him. There are times when we should admit our fears or seek His guidance. There are times when we should be giving thanks. There are times when we simply need to align our hearts with the heart of God. There are also times when we need to discuss things with the Lord. To pray without ceasing is to live and think in the presence of God. When you are tempted, you hold that temptation before God and ask for His help. When you experience something good and beautiful, you immediately thank the Lord for it. When you see evil around you, you ask God to make it right and to use you toward that end, if that is His will. When you meet someone who does not know Christ, you pray to, for God to draw that person to Himself and to use you to be a faithful witness. When you encounter trouble, you turn to God as your deliverer. The more we practice prayer without ceasing, the more there will be rejoicing always. And the more there will be thanksgiving praise. Now, why be thankful in all circumstances? 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. Are you thankful? A wife said to her husband, What are you most thankful for concerning me? My natural beauty, my vivacious personality, or my ravishing body? The husband looked at her and said, I am most thankful for your 
unlimited imagination. Are you the thankful? Realize that no one, not even God, wants to be around an unthankful person. In everything, give thanks. In reversal, give thanks. In heartache, give thanks. In pain, give thanks. In poverty, give thanks. In prosperity, give thanks. Why do we have to give thanks always? Listen to this. Because the attitude of gratitude reflects the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and he said, And be not drunk with wine wherein in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And then Paul lists in the next verses what spirit-filled people do. And he says in verse 19, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father of, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that every, every spirit-filled person is a thankful person. You don't have the attitude of, the grat of gratitude, you're not thankful. Then you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. To complain about what you don't have is to fault God. God's provision. To, to complain where you are in life is to fault God's leadership. God's leadership is not the problem. It's our ability to follow His leadership is the problem. If you have food on your fridge, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank, your wallet, and some spare change, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are more blessed than the millions of people who will not survive this week. If you have never experienced the danger of battle, the agony of imprisonment or torture, or the horrible uh, pangs of starvation, then you are much better than the 500 million people alive and suffering. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. It didn't say try to be thankful. It says be thankful unto him and bless his name. Have you ever noticed the negative people, the whiners, the complainers, those who mastered the art of creative suffering? 
They're never thankful. Thanksgiving is the attitude of gratitude. The attitude of gratitude is necessary to make every other forms of prayer effective. Philippians 4, the Bible says, Paul writes, Be anxious about nothing but in everything by prayer and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. If you're not offering your prayer with praise and thanksgiving, you're wasting your time. Start your prayer with thanksgiving. Not with series of requests and demand. Oh God, if you do this. Oh God, if you do this. If, oh God, if you do that. Thank God. If God, if God never did another thing, He's done enough for all of us already. If you want miracles to happen in your life, start offering God prayer of thanksgiving. Jesus fed 5,000 people by thanking the Lord. John 6, 11, and Jesus and says, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and then it began to multiply itself, and he fed thousands of people. How did he do that? He gave thanks to God. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead by giving thanks. John eleven forty one and says, And Jesus lifted up his eyes to his father and said, This is how he, the prayer started. And he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. They haven't prayed yet. I thank you that you have heard me. And when he had spoken these words, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth, and a dead man walked out of his grave. Why? Because someone was smart enough to give thanks to the Lord. If you're smart, you will give thanks. Say that to your neighbors. If you're smart, you will give thanks. That means murmuring and complaining. That means murmuring and complaining has no room in the lives of every Christian. And that includes shopping in the mall with your wife. Sorry, sorry guys, I said that. <laughs> Thank God every day and live that day like it was your last day. Gratitude is one of the most reliable indicators of our spiritual health. Like joy, our thankfulness is anchored in our relationship with Jesus Christ rather than the circumstances of life. So no matter what happens in life, we can be grateful that we are forgiven. No matter what happens in life, we can be grateful that nothing can separate us from the love of God. No matter what happens in life, we can be grateful that all things work together for good 
to those who love the Lord. No matter what happens in life, we can be grateful that God will supply all our needs according to His riches and glory. No matter what happens in life, we can be grateful that God will give us the strength that we need. No matter what happens in life, we can be grateful that God will finish the work that He has started in our lives. As Paul, as, as Paul reminded the first century Thessalonian Christians, he too is reminding us also in this 21st century Christians to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. Let's bow our heads and let us pray. Father,